Our reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 29, starting from verses 1 to 30. This can be found on page 27 of our church Bibles. Genesis 29, on page 27 of our church Bibles. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would draw the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her 
for my time has completed. So Laban gathered all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also, in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bila, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Well, do keep uh, your Bible open, please, at that page, page 27, Genesis 29, before we look at it together. Let's pray. Father, you have told us to speak the truth to one another in love, and we pray that what is said this morning may be your truth, indeed spoken in love, for our benefit and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can God possibly use a person like me? It's very easy to see how God could use a person like Abraham with his immense faith, or perhaps a a fearless reformer like Luther, perhaps a powerful preacher like Spurgeon, or a global evangelist like Billy Graham. But me? And what about a man like Jacob, whose name literally meant deceiver, grasper, one who takes advantage? How's that going to work? The opening words give us a clue. Then, it says, Jacob went on his journey. And what a journey it was. He went with nothing. And he came back 20 years later, not only older and wiser, but very rich, with two wives, 11 sons, and an awful lot of rather spotty sheep. He actually had more than one reason for going on that journey, we realize, from what's gone before. First of all, there was what we could call a survival reason, which is a fairly strong motivation. Esau had sworn to kill him because he'd stolen not only Esau's birthright, but his blessing as well. And so it was their mother, Rebecca, who said to Jacob, quick, just escape, go to Haran, you'll be safe there, we've got family there and relations, was of course where she'd come from. But there was also what we can call a marriage reason. That was more in Isaac's department. Isaac was very concerned that Jacob should not marry a Canaanite girl. And he knew that Uncle Laban lived there at Haran. Perhaps Jacob could find 
a bride there instead, where Rebecca had come from. But the servant who'd found Rebecca all those years before had gone with ten camels loaded with gold and silver and clothes. Jacob, on the other hand, set out with nothing except his father's blessing. However, he hadn't gone very far in his journey when he got another blessing. We heard about it last week. God met him on the journey in a dream, and he gave Jacob actually two promises. He renewed the covenant promise of a land, a people, and a blessing. But he also added a personal one. I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And it's that promise that takes us into chapter 29 this morning. And Jacob's first discovery, that God goes with his people on their journey. It's what Jesus said to us in Matthew 28, those words that we repeat every week. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The whole Old Testament, of course, leads us towards Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we find him offering the same promise. God didn't promise Jacob a smooth ride or trouble-free life. He promised that whatever life brought he would be with him in it. And I guess you don't have to live very long to know that life isn't always smooth and it isn't always easy. It always brings pressures and sometimes it brings very nasty surprises. Being a Christian doesn't change our circumstances, but it does transform the way we deal with our circumstances. The presence and the promise of God don't fail. God says the same to us on our journey as he said to Jacob on his I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go so it's with that double promise still ringing in his ears that Jacob arrives in verse 2 at a well for a meeting that will change his life when God is with us as he said he would be Sometimes he arranges those kinds of meetings. Uh, just over 50 years ago, if you'll forgive a personal story, I arrived at an interview, still wet behind the ears from college, to appoint two new teachers to St. James School here in Tunbridge Wells. One of the other candidates that I met for the first time that day was a young woman called Sylvia. She got one of the jobs, the better paid one, and I got the other one. It wasn't quite at a well, but it ended well. 44 years of well. I found my wife there. Sometimes when God is with us, he arranges meetings like that. And the God who promised Jacob he'd go with him had brought him to the right place to meet the right person at the right time. It was around midday, we read, when Jacob arrived and there were already three flocks of sheep there with their various shepherds. But it turned out there was one more, a shepherdess actually called Rachel, who was expected along very soon. Verse 5, Jacob asked, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Oh, we know him, they say. Is it well with him, asked Jacob. It is, they answer. And what's more, here comes his daughter, Rachel. And it says in verse 27, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. 
I think the chemistry seems to have been fairly instantaneous. Jacob is smitten, perhaps the first time in the Bible when we meet love at first sight. Having greeted Rachel with what I assume is the traditional kiss, he actually bursts into tears. Verse 18 says it. Jacob loved Rachel. He's her cousin, he tells her. His mother is Laban's sister. So Rachel dashes off to tell father the great news. Jacob's arrived, nephew. And Laban welcomes Jacob into the home. And a whole month goes by. And during it, we assume that Jacob's made himself useful around the place because in verse 15, Laban says, you may be my kinsman, but it's not right that you work for nothing. How can I reward you? Well, Jacob's had a whole month to think about it, hasn't he? And he knows exactly what reward he wants. He wants Rachel. He can't offer a lavish bride price like his father had done. But being Jacob, he has a plan. When did Jacob ever not have a plan? And in verse 18, he says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And then in verse 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Ah. (laughs) Or maybe not. You might perhaps be feeling a little uncomfortable. Is that how a woman should be treated? He's effectively buying his wife, isn't he, in a business deal? I guess we have to remember that things then were different to what they are now. And just because something is described in the Bible doesn't automatically mean it's a model we're to copy. The Bible isn't endorsing the idea of buying a wife. It's simply what they did. In fact, there are a few other places where we probably shouldn't copy Jacob as well. We shouldn't cheat our parents, I suggest, and we shouldn't take other people's inheritance. In fact, this whole wedding episode itself didn't end completely well, did it? But there's something we should notice here. Jacob has left his own country to serve hard labor in a foreign land before going home. Soon God would rename Jacob as Israel. The children of Israel, literally, will in the next generation also leave their country and end up serving hard labor in Egypt before returning home to the land that God has promised them. And it happens again, doesn't it, later on, when God once more took his people out of their land to a foreign country, this time Babylon, for 70 years before bringing them home. But in all of it, God will be faithful. He will keep that promise. And the one before it, he will give them their land and their people, and their blessing. And he will be with them wherever they go. And so by the time we get down to verse 21, the seven years are completed. And Jacob reminds Laban, "Um, I'd like to have my wife, please. I've done the seven years. So all is got ready. And Jacob is thrilled at the thought of finally getting Rachel. But Jacob, it turns out, wasn't the only deceiver in the camp. Laban had a cunning plan too. In his culture, it wasn't socially correct to marry off the younger daughter before the older one. So, secretly, 
he prepared a switch. Kind of, now you see her, now you don't. And you may feel there's a family theme going on here. It was Rebecca who came up with a plan to substitute Jacob for Esau to get the birthright. And now her brother is going to substitute Leah for Rachel to get the husband. So as the wedding gets underway, it's Leah, not Rachel, who is dressed up in wedding robes and veiled and brought to Jacob. You can only imagine how Rachel must have felt at that moment when the penny dropped and she heard the news and realized that having waited seven years for her husband, she wasn't going to be the wife. Or Leah, perhaps, as she's unexpectedly hurried into the wedding clothes. All we're ever told about Leah here is in verse 17. Her eyes, it says, were weak. Poor Leah. She didn't have the instant beauty appeal of Rachel. Had she spent her years thinking, can God ever use someone like me? The answer is yes. Because the second lesson here for Jacob and for us this morning is that God works through weak people. As Samuel said, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. His strength is made perfect in weakness, says Paul in Corinthians. He has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. If we wind the clock forwards through the generations, we discover something about Leah. Not only is it Leah who has six of Jacob's 12 sons, it's Leah who gives birth to Levi, the, the tribe of Moses, the deliverer from Egypt, and all those other Levites who would work in God's temple. And even more importantly, it's Leah who gives birth to Judah, the kingly line, the line that led to David, and through David and out the other side to the Messiah himself, Jesus of Nazareth. They were Leah's children, not Rachel's. Through you will all the nations of the world be blessed, was God's gospel promise to Jacob. And it was fulfilled through Leah with the weak eyes. I find that encouraging. God works through weak people. Why? Because weak people know that they're dependent on God. Weak people learn to trust and to pray. Weak people will work with other people because they know they need them. Weakness grows faith. Salvation is of grace, not merit. And as for Jacob, it really is deja vu all over again. The man who deceived his father is deceived by his father-in-law. The man who deceived by pretending to be his older brother is deceived by a woman pretending to be her younger sister. It's impossible not to think that justice perhaps is being done here. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so the wedding is completed. Jacob spends the wedding night with Leah, apparently, none the wiser. And they thought Leah had weak eyes. <laughs> and then I think verse 25 gives us one of the, forgive me, but one of the funniest verses in the Bible. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. It's the wrong wife. 
Forgive me, this really is the Wallace and Gromit moment, isn't it? It's the wrong trousers, Gromit. I leave you to imagine the conversation that morning over breakfast. But Laban is completely unrepentant. Sorry, old friend, he says we don't believe in marrying our younger daughters before our older daughters here. And what's more, it seems, Laban doesn't believe in buy one, get one free either. If Jacob wants Rachel, he's going to have to do another seven years of hard work. However, they agree a compromise. Custom dictated that nothing could happen for a week, but a week's time there could be another wedding, this time to Rachel, and then the seven years would start. So bizarrely, Jacob marries two wives in eight days. And once again, perhaps we ought to be clear, uh, this is not a model of what we should do. It's a record of what they did. And again, it didn't work out very well. This is when the seeds of future rivalries are sown. You notice in verse 30, right down at the bottom, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And as favorite wife, Rachel, produces favorite son, Joseph, the whole wretched pattern of sibling jealousy and parents being deceived is going to repeat in the next generation. So is this chapter, frankly, just a catastrophe? Is God's plan now in ruins? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Because God will always achieve his purpose. And there is our third point this morning. It's been wisely said, God achieves his sovereign purpose through the free choices of sinful individuals. Last Sunday evening, we saw God achieving his sovereign purpose through the treachery of Judas. And here, God is achieving his sovereign purpose through the treachery of Laban. And it's not just God's large-scale purpose, the one that runs way into the future of providing a saviour. There's a small-scale purpose going on here as well. In all of this, Jacob himself is growing. 400 years later, God did it again, didn't he, with Moses, who also ran away for fear of being killed and also kept the sheep of his father-in-law and also met his wife at a well. And all for the same reason, to change him and to prepare him for what God wanted him to do. We asked at the beginning, can God ever use a person like me? And the answer is yes, but he'll be changing me. Last week we saw Jacob make the journey from your God to my God. What else was Jacob learning? I think he was learning to love someone other than himself, perhaps for the first time ever. He was learning certainly to live in new ways. Remember of the two twins, it was Esau who was the one who was outdoors looking after the animals, not Jacob. So Jacob's learned a few skills along the way. He's learning to keep promises, two lots of seven years, and both promises kept. And perhaps learning what it feels like to be on the receiving end of deceit, as well as dishing it out. He's definitely still work in progress, as we shall see when we reach chapter 32. 
but there are still lessons to be learned and God is changing him. God's big purpose is to rescue and redeem the lost. That image of bringing home the exile, the outsider. Through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, had been God's promise. And it's that promise that points us forwards all the way to Jesus, who fulfilled it to the cross. But part of his purpose, as Jacob was discovering, is also to change us, to make us more like Jesus. All is of grace, and as Romans says, where sin increases, grace increases more. I can't help thinking of what Jacob's son, Joseph, said when he met his brothers after all their deceits and things had taken him into Egypt and he got all the way to prime minister and eventually his brothers who sold him into slavery were paraded in front of him. That verse from Genesis 50. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Most of us have been through times when it's very hard to see what God is doing. Where is God in all of this? Why this? Why me? Why now? Joseph's discovery is also Jacob's discovery, and it can be our discovery. Paul said it, didn't he, in Romans 8, that verse we probably know so very well. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Can God use people like you and me? Yes, he can. And yes, he does. In fact, he chooses to. It is how he works. Because all is of grace. Heaven is not full of good people. Heaven is full of forgiven people. God goes with his weak people. God works through weak people. And God is achieving his purpose in people. And that purpose is to rescue us and to change us so that he can use us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that amazing grace that can use people like Jacob and use people like us. Thank you that you met us at the cross that you provided for our greatest need, that our wrongness can be forgiven, and that you can bring us home and change us and use us. In Jesus' name, amen.